Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to How Should I Be Positioned on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As you know, on this podcast, we do like to discuss macro developments and asset allocation with our UBS Chief Investment Office and our third-party asset manager partners. Now, today's conversation will largely focus on a 2022 outlook, though we will also focus on Fed policy, recent rotational activity within equity markets, risk consideration. And of course, we will spend some time on portfolio positioning. So let me take a moment here to introduce to you who is joining us on today's segment. Joining us for the conversation, glad to welcome back David Lefkowitz, Head of Equities Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as Joe Amato, the President of Newberger Berman Group and Chief Investment Officer of Equities for the firm. So David, Joe, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Dan. Thanks, David. Great to be with you guys. Uh, and uh, thank you to the UBS system, if you will. We've had a great partnership. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely. So there's plenty to cover. This conversation comes at a good time because, Joe, you think about the start of 2022. It has been a challenging period in particular for equity investors. So maybe we can take a step back, Joe, and rewind the clocks to January 1st. Joe, what was your outlook for equity returns over the first half of 2022 at that point? And have you had to at all rethink or readjust your outlook in consideration of conditions, how they've unfolded over the past few weeks? So as we looked at 2022 back in in late 21, uh, we did see that, uh, in our view, there was going to be a number of very, very important and seminal, if you will, inflection points that we were all going to be faced with in 22, uh, in particular on the policy front. Both uh, fiscal and monetary policy uh, was changing uh, and, and meaningfully. Uh, liquidity was going to be coming out of the system. Uh, inflation was moving up significantly. So we, we view 22 as a, as a transition year. We thought equity returns would be modest, no, nowhere near where they've been over the last number of years, but modest. So we weren't underweight equities per se, but we didn't think you were going to enjoy the kinds of returns. And we saw, importantly, lots more volatility, of which obviously we've gotten a little dose of here in the in the first month of the year. Thank you for that, Joe. Uh, David, same question. What is your outlook for equity returns today in consideration of activity over the past few weeks? And have you had to at all rethink your outlook in consideration of what we've seen? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, you know, pretty similar to, to Joe's comments. I mean, we, we were looking for about a 7% return this year uh, from, from, from the S&P 500. And obviously that's a, a huge reduction in terms of what we've seen over the last three years. You know, when S&P 500 was up over 25% annualized over the last three years. So a, a very different environment um, and really driven a lot by, by some of what Joe talked about, that the Fed would be hiking um, growth would be slowing down, you know, so we thought we would see some valuation compression, um, but, you know, but still relatively good earnings growth. You know, I, I think what, you know, obviously we, we've seen a, some pretty dramatic moves in markets just in the first month of the year. And, you know, the, from here, I mean, the, the, I mean, the market has really, I would say, very aggressively repriced uh, what's in store from the Fed. Um 
you know, even though the Fed actually hasn't done anything yet, I, I mean, they're actually still buying bonds, um, which will which will end in March. Uh, so, so I think there's a lot of so when we look at the landscape right now, we think there's some pretty interesting sort of buy signals, just given how poor investor sentiment is right now, how elevated volatility is. You know, usually when that happens, and at the same time business fundamentals are are pretty good which and i would say they they still are now, those tend to be good buy signals and that's kind of what we're seeing today that doesn't like that doesn't mean that we haven't seen the bottom of the sell, you know that we have seen the bottom of the sell off we we may not have um but i i feel pretty comfortable saying that i, I think investors will make money from from current levels over the next you know 3 6 12 months um, and then we started the year uh, with a preference for value over growth, and and we're still sticking with that, Dan. Thank you for that, David. And of course, we will spend some more time a bit later in the conversation, diving deeper into allocation recommendations, thoughts on positioning. But perhaps here we can spend a few moments on risk considerations. And I know, Joe, the Fed does play into that. And everything from Fed tightening to rising rates, perhaps we received some more clarity on the Fed's intentions last Wednesday. Wednesday. Also thinking about inflation, the ongoing pandemic, all of these factors, they serve as triggers of volatility in the markets, triggers for investor concern. Uh, Joe, what factors do you believe are of most concern or maybe pose the greatest risk to equity returns over the first half? And is there anything out there in the way of risk that you believe investors should be mindful of? Well, I, I think first and foremost, you've got to look at policy on the monetary side and, and the pathway for rates. Uh, and a big portion or a big driver of that pathway is going to be inflation. So inflation rates, I think, are still pose the most significant challenges, headwinds, what, whatever you want to describe them as. And, and you know, the Fed is faced with, with a real uh, balancing act here because uh, if you look at the policy mix as we speak, if we were all transported from the future back to this day, if you will, and looked at unemployment rate and inflation, GDP growth, and where the Fed policy rates are, you would think that uh, the Fed's crazy, right? To have policy rates where they are with the, uh, with the mix of economic indicators and signals or whatever you want to call them that, that I just referenced, uh, it, it's crazy. So the Fed has to get off the dime here, and I think they seem to be quite intent on doing that. So first and foremost, slowing down is bond buying. Uh, uh, second, starting the process of, of, of raising rates uh, and then eventually getting to the point of rolling off the balance sheet. And both the balance sheet and the QE bond buying have real important implications for liquidity in the markets, which have been a real uh, tailwind uh, to markets over the course of the last uh, uh, 24 months in particular. Uh, but the rate rises we see are meaningful. Uh, our expectation is that the Fed policy rate will land somewhere in the two-ish uh, range, uh, probably not as aggressive as where what the market's assuming today and where the Fed uh, itself is saying the policy rate is. Uh, but we're a long way from that. So the expectation is sort of buckle your seatbelt and get ready for some rate rises. And then one of the questions in our mind, uh, I do think the Fed's going to move carefully and steadily. Uh, you know, an important question in our mind is, is how sensitive this economy is, in fact, to rate rises which I think is one of the reasons why the Fed is going to move more slowly, because if they can get the market, modest increases in rates on their part, and the market to essentially do their job, 
to slow inflation, then you may not actually need to hike rates the five, six plus times that some are assuming. Uh, David, what about your thoughts? How sensitive might investors be to Fed moves versus, say, economic fundamentals and anything in the way of the pecking order for risk considerations from the vantage point of CIO you'd like to share with us as well? Yeah, I think Joe hit on a lot of the the key points. I, I mean, ultimately, the outlook for equities almost always depends on your outlook for for growth and the Fed. Um, and you know, I, I would say, look, on the growth side, um, and I'm talking about economic growth as, as as well as corporate profit growth. You know, growth for me remains pretty well supported, although it, it is moderating from the very rapid paces that we saw last year. So just you know, on the consumer side of, of the economy, um, you know, jobs are, are, are very plentiful, uh, wages are rising, debt levels are, are quite low relative to incomes, and mortgage rates, while, while they've moved up a bit, are still, are still pretty attractive from a, a long-term perspective. Um, on the business side, you know, we see a similar you know, pretty strong momentum. Um, profits are hitting all-time highs, certainly for – uh, the largest companies and, and the most publicly traded companies, uh, access to capital is easy. There's a huge backlog of activity that needs to be uh, eaten through. So the economy has a lot of good momentum. And um, uh, so that gives us some comfort on just sort of economic growth. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the big risk is, is, is very much inflation um, and, and the Fed's reaction to it. And um, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with Joe's comments that yeah, I, I think the Fed, the, the current policy setting, you know, makes really no sense, you know, given given where we are today in terms of the economy. Um, and and the market has priced in a lot already uh, in terms of Fed hiking, you know, four or five interest rate hikes. Um, and I think sort of the risk from here is, is just really what happens on inflation. I mean, the Fed is assuming inflation. Pressures begin to ease sometime in the March, April, May timeframe. You know, if we don't see those those uh, inflationary pressures easing, then you know, then then there's a risk that the Fed gets even even more aggressive than than what the market is currently assuming. I mean, I think you, you know you've seen financial conditions tighten already, um, and and that was something that led us back in latter part of 21 to think that, in fact, this was going to be, you know, a, a choppy, challenging or what have you type type year. Um, I do think, uh, to David's point, that inflation will come down. The question in our mind, of course, in everybody's mind, is, is how much, right? Uh, I don't think we're going to keep printing numbers that, you know, we've seen in the last uh, last couple of months. Uh, and but But there are a number of structural issues in the labor market, the housing market, energy transition that are all, uh, in our view, going to be a bit more persistent in keeping inflation above the levels that they've been at, certainly in the last cycle. Uh, I don't think it's going to be runaway inflation, uh, but I do think it raises uh, the, the, the risks in a number of fronts, right? When inflation is low, uh, it's easy for the Fed to keep rates low, and the, and the Fed uh, can extend essentially extend economic cy- cycles, as we saw in the last cycle, being being quite long with low inflation, low rates. As soon as you start to deal with inflation, having to move uh, policy rates, that's what tends to create more volatility, shorten business cycles, 
and create more risk, uh, you know, in particular, a policy mistake, right? You know, we, we haven't really talked about that as a risk, right? The, the Fed could be wrong. The Fed could move too aggressively too fast. Uh, that would then create even that much more volatility. I agree. I mean, I, yeah, I guess maybe just one thing. I, I sure. mean, I do think one of the big unknowns, and I, I think, you know, frankly, you know, the whole, you know, basically Wall Street and the Fed have not been very good at forecasting inflation. And, and right now there's this, uh, you know, growing feeling that inflation is becoming more problematic. Um yeah, I mean, we, we have to be aware. I, I think Joe raises an important point that, um, you know, if, if we have to be aware of the risk that the Fed overreacts to the current high levels of inflation. And in fact, inflation does you know, does start to come down more than, than people think. I think it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, in some respects, if you think about back to policymakers, essentially um, they were too bearish on growth and, ba- and too bearish on inflation before. Uh, and the question in our mind is, are they now too bullish on growth and inflation, <laughs> uh, which would, uh, you know, create the, 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 the recipe for potentially, you know, a policy mistake? Because, because as David said, the Fed, you know, Fed's been dead wrong on uh, Fed and many forecasts have been dead wrong on inflation uh, looking back, uh, you know, a year ago from, from today. Since we're on the topic of inflation, perhaps we can talk about it in the context of impacts to corporate earnings. I know we're currently making our way through the Q4 reporting season. We're coming off of a 2021 where we did see exceptionally strong earnings growth. So with that in mind, Joe, what are your expectations for earnings here in 2022 when you take into account inflationary pressures squeezing margins? Well, I think I think um, the environment with uh, above trend line GDP growth, which we do assume, I think you guys are are, are projecting that as well, uh, and uh, a higher level of inflation, the nominal rate of growth of the economy is going to be reasonably robust, and that creates a decent tailwind for companies because, as I jokingly remind people, uh, you know, companies report in nominal dollars, not real dollars, right? They report revenues and earnings. So it creates a, a decent tailwind. Importantly, though, for companies that have pricing power uh, and uh, can enhance productivity and mitigate the effect of rising costs, whether those costs be on the wage front or on, you know, energy or, or what have you. On the pricing power side, we are seeing, and many company surveys are indicating that um, companies have still have uh, uh, a lot of pricing power, in fact, more pricing power than they had in a long, long time. And I think that bodes well for their ability to continue to deliver reasonable earnings growth. So our expectation is that earnings will continue to be uh, uh, relatively strong, maybe high single-digit, low double-digit type, type earnings growth. Uh, we are watching fourth quarter closely. Fourth quarter, I wouldn't, you know, while the absolute numbers were strong, I would say so far fourth quarter earnings, I would describe it as a bit disappointing. Um, but uh, but still, the absolute levels are strong. You're going to see a bit of an effect probably in the near term uh, from COVID in terms of shutdowns and in those industries most affected by that. But I, I think 22 should be um, a decent year for earnings. Uh, the challenge from an equity valuation standpoint, will be multiples. Because in a world where you're seeing earnings decelerate a bit from a very high level of growth, Dan, as you point out last year, the Fed is raising rates. That's a recipe for PE contraction. 
So decent earnings growth, probably a bit more of PE contraction, uh, which ends up still delivering a decent equity return this year. But again, as we talked about at the top of the discussion, nowhere near what you know we've enjoyed the last uh, several. David, what about your thoughts on the Q4 results that have come in thus far, how they've been shaping up relative to your expectations heading into reporting and to expand overall expectations for earnings growth in 2022 when you account for up inflation, policy course for the Fed, how those are different factors compared to last year? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. So, look, I, I would say I, I would generally agree with Joe again uh, that the fourth quarter numbers have been they've been a little bit weaker than our own expectations. I mean, the companies are beating, um, but the the pace of the earnings beats is a, is a little bit is a little bit lower than what we'd expected. We were expecting a high single digit type of uh, uh, earnings beats um, in terms of the magnitude, and they're coming in. You know, more like in the three to four percent range, so a little bit lighter than than what we had seen. But I, I do take some comfort from the fact that if you look at the the forward numbers, if you look at the the first quarter estimates for companies that have reported, th- those are holding up pretty well. Uh, so we're seeing a, a very modest reduction in the first quarter estimates for companies that have reported it they're down about one percent but that's you know not a bad result just given the omicron impacts which are going to be more impactful in the first quarter than they were in the fourth um so yeah i mean so putting it all together you know still think that we're looking for kind of you know sort of 10 to 12 percent type earnings growth this year um it's you know we'll, we'll have to uh, adjust that as, as the year progresses, as, as we get more data. But I still think that's a, a reasonable assumption and very similar to Joe's thinking. I mean, you know, look, th- this is in terms of the inflation question. I mean, this is really demand pull inflation. This is not so much about cost push. And when you have demand pull inflation, companies will will have a, a much easier time push uh, passing on price increases, uh, and that's what we're seeing. So. So this year, we're looking for about 8% revenue growth for the S&P 500. You know, that should go a long way to protecting margins. I mean, obviously not, you know, every company is going to be have its own unique experience, but in the aggregate, it should go a long way to protecting margins and, and helping uh, the market in aggregate generates some some pretty decent earnings growth. Thank you, David. So at this point, maybe we can spend a few moments and touch on portfolio positioning. So given the insights that we've heard, how to put that to work in a portfolio. So uh, Joe, I'll ask you in terms of equity sector preferences, what looks most attractive to you at this time? And are there any opportunities outside of the U.S.? So I think as we look across the spectrum of, of global equities, um, you know, we, we shake out, we, we lean more toward uh, non-U.S. than U.S., broadly, broadly speaking, uh, particularly developed markets. Um, the interesting contrast there is where over the course of the last several years, um, you know, both of these markets have performed relatively well. In the U.S., you've gotten strong earnings growth plus multiple expansion. In a lot of the developed markets outside the U.S., you've gotten earnings growth drive the markets and not multiple expansion. I'm not suggesting multiple expansion in those markets, but I think there's more room 
to run, if you will, um, an important element as your you know, clients think about it, your investor base thinks about it, uh, is the dollar. You know, we have been, uh, we, we've been wrong on the dollar. We felt, we thought the dollar would, would weaken. Uh, that certainly would create that much more of a tailwind for non-U.S. equities, at least for, for uh, many investors. Um, the, you know, the strong dollar has, has uh, I guess, maybe not been surprising in the, in, the, in, in the short term. So we lean more toward non-U.S. than U.S., um, uh, we lean more toward uh, small versus large. We think with uh, economies broadly across the globe uh, growing above trend line, that bodes well for uh, things like small cap, which tend to be a bit more cyclical. Um, and we also prefer value over growth. And uh, with value, as uh, as I'm sure you're, you know, we all know, uh, uh, has performed quite uh, well recently, but has kind of had a long, long period of underperformance versus growth. Um, so, you know, the, again, the the higher than trend line growth in the significant underweight that we think still exists uh, in investors' allocations between growth and value. Those who have um, use passive vehicles, for instance, for their equity exposure in the U.S. in particular, have a very growth bias to their to their allocations, to their exposures, right? So we still think there's more movement there. We continue to see very, very strong flows in our value-oriented products, both large and, and small cap. So we're still there. At some point, it'll be time to re-rotate, if you will, as, um, as growth starts to slow a little bit more driven by the rate increases that, you know, that we're going to be faced with on the, on, uh, from the Fed. But right now, that's our, that's our uh, preference. Thank you, Joe. David, a few moments ago, you mentioned how the CIO is in the value cap as well. Anything there you'd like to expand on with respect to positioning, including any thoughts on where overseas that investors should be looking at for opportunity right now? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, just I mean, I think Joe hit on the important points on 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 value. Um, you know, one of the other things that we're looking at in uh, quite closely is just there's been a very strong relationship between growth and value and the level of real interest rates. These are inflation adjusted interest rates, and you know, real interest rates are still 50 basis points or you know, half a half a percentage point lower than where they were before the pandemic. So we think there's more to go in this increase in interest rates. And you know, that, that's going to be a, a tailwind for value and a, and a headwind for, for growth from a, certainly for a, from a valuation perspective for growth companies. So you know, there's been a, a lot of, of pain so far this year in, in the growth complex. Um, and there may be some babies that have been thrown out with the bathwater, but uh, and we could, and we're seeing just in the last couple of days a little bit of a snapback in, in growth. Um, but, but I think if you take the longer term perspective and and look out over the next few months, you know, we think we think interest rates will be higher, and that'll continue to favor value. Um, yeah, from sector perspective, we like energy, financials, um, uh, consumer discretionary, and industrials. I, I would I would say right here after this sell off, definitely want to be lightening up a little bit on defensives, which have done really well in the sell-off. 
um, you know, that's likely to unwind a bit. We're seeing that a little bit the last couple of days. You know, don't know if this is the bottom of the sell-off, you know, obvious, obvious caveat, but that, that to me seems uh, uh, also pretty interesting. And then outside the U.S., and I would echo, well, before I get outside the U.S., I would echo Joe's comments on smaller companies. We, we've preferred to do it through mid-caps, uh, which are a little bit higher quality, um, and just, you know, as we get later in the business cycle, um, uh, just just think you want to be a little bit more focused on quality. But, yeah, I mean, small companies look really cheap. Um, you know, for, so for anyone who has a longer-term time horizon, you know, small and mid look quite interesting over uh, the long, you know, sort of longer-term time horizons. I mean, small caps are now trading at their lowest valuation discount to large caps really since the dot-com bubble. Uh, or actually, they're it's basically matched that, so it's it's pretty striking. Um, and then outside the U.S., um, yeah, we have a preference for Europe. Um, in fact, we're neutral on the U.S. preference for Europe, and yeah, very you know very similar to what Joe was describing, but but also just that growth. We think economic growth will hold up a little bit better in um, in Europe just because of the timing of their of their fiscal stimulus. Ours is running off faster. Theirs is. Uh, uh, coming into the economy a little bit more slowly, um, yeah, and and, uh, and therefore earnings growth should hold up a little bit a little bit better as well. Um, so that's kind of how we're positioned. All right, well, David, thank you. I know we have just a few moments left. Uh, David, Joe, very productive conversation, and thank you for covering all of the ground that you have for our listeners, our clients. So before we wrap up, maybe we can hear about some final thoughts, takeaways. Uh, David, what we can do is provide our guest, Joe Amato, with the final words. So, David, I'll go to you first. Uh, any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, I, I guess, the, the, you know, I would just say one or two things. I mean, first is that, and we've been pretty consistent about this during the sell-off, that, you know, we are, we are picking up some signals that, that indicate that uh, it, these, this is a good time to deploy capital. You know, we never know when the bottom is. That's not what we're trying to do. Um, so there could still be some volatility ahead of us, but uh, the, we, we have a pretty strong conviction that deploying capital today will generate some pretty nice returns uh, oh, you know, over the near term, over the next three, six, 12 months, uh, just given some of the signals we're seeing. Um, and I still think equities can achieve a, a positive return for the year, but uh, I would say the big risk is is the Fed uh, and inflation and, uh, you know, how, how stubborn inflation remains, we'll have to see. Um, but the market's already repriced uh, a lot of those inflation risks. And, and then even though value has done well so far this year, you know, can't rule out a little bit of a of a rotate uh, of a little rotation back to growth, but uh, we still think value has has more room to run as we look over the balance of the year. Thank you, David. And then, Joe, I'll go to you for any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to share with us. You know, tightening cycles in growth can coexist, and they can coexist nicely. Uh, you know, it's probably the definition of effectively a, a you know what is effectively a soft landing. So that is, uh, I think, the base case that many of us. Uh, uh, have right. I, I think David and I have agreed on on a, a number of the points we've discussed uh, today. So, so I think that's that's one important point. Uh, I would caveat and say transitions are never easy. Uh, we have had a massive level of stimulus, uh, particularly on the monetary side, for not just the last two years, but for many many years, and the transition to uh, higher rates, I think, is going to be fraught with with 
continued volatility and and risk in that readjustment of, of of pricing risk essentially right we we saw that back even in december with some of the most aggressive end of the of the growth stock spectrum where it was a quite painful uh repricing of that risk and i think that's going to continue i'm not just saying specifically on technology but just in general uh this sort of repricing of risk now that you've gone from you know policy rates of effective zero to uh something that is more market driven supply demand driven even though i think our collective expectation is that rates are going to remain still modest in the scheme of where rates have been over the course of the last uh number of years so uh, i wish everybody luck as we all try to work through the challenges of 22 and beyond and uh, do appreciate you inviting me on to to uh into this discussion Well, Joe, David, very nice catching up with you both. Thank you again for taking the time, sharing your insights, your recommendations with our listeners, our clients, a lot here that we can follow up on. So perhaps we can look forward to a follow-up conversation later this year. But David, Joe, thank you again. Appreciate it today. Thank you, Dan. Thank Thank you so much, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.